When is the last time that you went on a journey? Now, I'm not talking about a, a day trip, okay? Not down to the shore or the Poconos or Lancaster or anything like that. I'm talking about a journey. When I was a, a kid, we took a road trip from Toronto all the way down to Southern California, and we saw everything on that trip. Uh, we saw Mount Rushmore, the Grand Canyon, the Rocky Mountains. That was a journey. But probably my most memorable journey uh, was a trip that my friends and I took after we graduated from college. We decided uh, that we were going to go on a camping trip to the Colorado Rockies. Now, the trip that we planned uh, probably required like level seven camping experience. Uh, but unfortunately, none of us had any camping experience whatsoever. Uh, we drove to Colorado Springs, and then our campsite was located about like an hour up into the Rocky Mountains. And our first clue uh, that we were in over our heads was, and I still remember to this day, watching the little temperature gauge on our car. It was giving the outside temperature. Watching that temperature drop and drop and drop. Who knew that the Rocky Mountains would be colder than sea level? I didn't. My friends didn't. <laughs> But that was just the beginning. See, there was all kinds of bloopers on that trip. Um, I think it was the second day. We had gone down to Pikes Peak, and we were going to take that cog railway they have up to the top. Uh, when we were in that little car, we got talking to the tour guide. He happened to be a former pastor, so him and I were chatting, and he asked me, where are you guys staying? So I told him the name of our campsite, and he said to me, oh, you're up in bear country. Excuse me, what? <laughs> You're up in bear country. And I'll never forget what he said next, because I said, we haven't seen any bears. And he said, they've seen you. <laughs> and that's when we learned that you're not supposed to leave all of your food all around the campsite. Uh, you're supposed to put it up. And so he helped us with that little tip. We knew nothing about camping. I remember uh, one other night, I was already in the tent for the night, and uh, one of my friends was outside by the fire pit area, and I heard him say, hey, come out here, come out here. So I come outside the tent, and, um, and he, he points to me across, this is like a reservoir, uh, water nearby, and he points to me out across the water, and he says, I think that's a coyote out there. And I'm looking out across the water, and sure enough, you see two eyes kind of wandering their way down closer to the water. A couple moments go by, another set of eyes shows up. Now, all of us are around a circle going, what are we supposed to do? Now, thankfully, those coyotes turned off their headlights uh, because they weren't coyotes, they were just two pickup trucks. And um, <laughs> just a couple guys going fishing, so we escaped that, that danger. Like I said, it was one long blooper reel being on that trip. You're looking at five guys here who drove an hour every day to the city to eat at IHOP, that's true. <laughs> Um, when we talked after, our favorite memory of the trip was driving to Denver and watching Iron Man 1 in the theater, okay? Um, this was the trip I realized I am not an outdoors person. Uh, let's just say if society collapsed, my family would be dead very fast, okay? <laughs> but I remember that journey well because one of the guys on that trip took so many pictures and videos, everything from that trip was very well documented. Now this morning, you and I are going to go on a journey. Because we're going to track with the Apostle Paul and his team 
on the first of what are going to be three missionary journeys. And we know what we know about those missionary journeys because Luke documents everything so well for us. Now, it's not with pictures and videos, unfortunately. But what we do have is essentially a travel log known to us as Acts chapter 13 through 28. Now, not only are we going to get to accompany the Apostle Paul and his team this morning as they begin their first missionary journey, but also we're going to get an inside look, a first-hand look at the life of a sojourner. Now, last week we started our series with some key words that we're going to be using throughout this series. Maybe you remember seeing these words last week, missional. Remember, we are ambassadors for Christ, transitional citizens of heaven and intentional. We are sojourners on this earth. We have a dash to live. If you remember back to the Pioneer series, it was whatever, whenever, however. Here's our words for the Sojourner series, missional, transitional, and intentional. And we're going to see all three of those words play out in our text this morning, which will be Acts chapter 13. Now, as we come to this point in the book of Acts, it might help us here to pause for a moment and think about two big transitions that happen between the end of Acts chapter 12 and the Pioneer series and the beginning of Acts chapter 13. And the first of those transitions is geographical. Now, you might remember from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Great Commission text. Remember this? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. When we come to Acts chapter 13, the gospel has moved from just Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and now it's about to enter the ends of the earth. So that's our first transition at this point in the book. But there's also a second transition. The second transition involves who we're going to be following. Now, if you made a movie about the Pioneer series... Which character would be the star of the first 12 chapters of Acts? It's hard to argue anybody but the Apostle Peter. He is featured throughout those chapters extensively. But when we come to Acts chapter 13, not only is there a transition to the ends of the earth, but there's also a transition to the Apostle to the Gentiles, the Apostle Paul. And we are going to be following the Apostle Paul on some crazy adventures throughout the rest of the book of Acts. But this morning, we're to start our sojourner stories in chapter 13, which begins by setting the stage for the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. So Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, we read this. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So we pick up here with the church of Antioch. You remember a couple chapters ago in the book of Acts, this is the, the church, the place where the disciples of Jesus were first called Christians. By this point in our story, this is an established church. In fact, this is going to serve as like home base for Paul and his missionary journeys. And here we get a little overview, a list really, of some of the leaders who are functioning in that church at the time. Barnabas, remember him? Simeon and Lucius from North Africa. Menaean from the Galilean region, evidently had an interesting childhood. And Saul, who we also know as the Apostle Paul. 
Verse two continues setting the scene for us. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now I'm eager to jump into our missionary journey, but don't miss this before we do. Note that the call of Saul and Barnabas doesn't come as the result of careful strategic master planning. It comes as a result of corporate worship and fasting. That the Holy Spirit supernaturally calls out Paul and Barnabas to go do a special work. Now this call was so obvious to that church family, they didn't even hesitate to lose like 40% of their church leadership to obey it. We read in verse three, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So ready or not, here we go into missionary journey number one. Now we are gonna be in Acts chapter 13 this morning. In Acts chapter 13, we're gonna be following Paul and Barnabas to two different locations that they go. The first one is Cyprus, beginning here in our next verse through verse 12, and then we'll be tracking with them all the way up to Pisidian Antioch. So first, beginning in verse four, they set off for the island of Cyprus. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, verse four, they went down to Seleucia, the port city, and from there, they sailed to Cyprus. Now, Cyprus was the hometown of Barnabas. So this was a journey he probably would have made many times before, and it's a logical place to start their journey, being a place that Barnabas knew well. Verse five, when they arrived at Salamis, which is the largest city in Cyprus at this time, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Now last week, Pastor Chris brought up the fact that Paul had mission, vision, and strategy. And right here, in this verse, we see one of the strategies of the Apostle Paul. Because as he does his missionary journeys, when he comes to a new city, one of his strategies is that first, he goes to the Jewish synagogues. Now, these were the religious and cultural centers for the Jews, and there's really two reasons why Paul uses this strategy. One is theological. For Paul, the gospel's always to the Jew first and then to the Greek, Romans 1.16. But also, there's a practical reason here. Because it wasn't just Jews that would show up at the synagogues. It was also God-fearing Gentiles, people who were seeking out a relationship with the one true God. And Paul views that as fertile ground to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Our text also notes here that Paul and Barnabas have a third team member, John Mark, Barnabas's cousin. So after some time in Salamis, the sojourners pack up and they cross to the other side of the island, verse six. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, of course, when you see the name Jesus, you wonder what's going on here. The word bar is simply an Aramaic expression that means son of. So if you remember Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Uh, Jesus refers to Simon one time as Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, the son of Jonah. So what this text is simply telling us here is that this man's father had the name Jesus, which was the Greek version of a very common name at the time, Joshua. But this magician isn't just some hack on the island of Cyprus. This guy is connected to the most powerful governing official. Look at verse 7. 
He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now, how telling is this verse? That these guys have made such a splash on the island of Cyprus, they've got the attention of the leading governing official who wants to hear from them, what are these guys going around my island preaching? Now, we're going to see a lot of firsts in this first missionary journey, but we encounter one in the next verse that's an unwelcomed first because it's the first opposition that we see to the gospel. Verse 8. But Elymas, the magician, that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Imagine you were uh, shopping down at Giant, the supermarket down the road, and I was just one aisle over from you. And you overheard me saying this to somebody. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. What would you think about me talking that way to somebody? What do you think about Paul talking that way to somebody? Hey, Paul, remember a conversation seasoned with salt, right? What's he up to here? The text actually tells us he's full of the Holy Spirit here. This is not Paul's flesh talking. Why does he talk this way? Think back to the, the ministry of Jesus. One of the hallmarks of the ministry of Jesus has to be the way he was always so grace-filled and patient with sinners. Think of the way he used to talk to prostitutes, the way he talked to tax collectors, traitors, the way he talked to failures. Always grace-filled, always patient. But one of the other hallmarks of Jesus' ministry has to be the way he talked to the corrupt religious leaders. Remember some of the things he said to the Pharisees? Why does Jesus talk that way to religious leaders? Why does Paul talk that way to this false prophet? I think Paul nails it with this line. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths? of the Lord. See, if, if you claim to talk for God and you make it hard for people to follow him, you better watch out. The Lord hates that. And so Paul says, far from being a son of Jesus, kind of plays with his name, you're a son of the devil. You are opposed to God. And then the Lord acts decisively with this false prophet, immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Now, watching all of this is our friend Sergius Paulus who responds kind of exactly how you might think he would respond. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred for he was astonished, yeah, I guess so, at the teaching of the Lord. So we have here the first recorded conversion on the island of Cyprus. The gospel now has gone coast to coast on the island and all the way up to the tippy top of government. 
But remember, these are sojourners. Missional, intentional, and transitional. So just when they're getting started, they're already packing up their bags and heading out. And so Luke recalls the next part of the journey, which takes them to Asia Minor, beginning in verse 13. We read this. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. This is about a 150-mile journey or so. But at this point in our story, Luke stops and he records another point of opposition that Paul and Barnabas faced. And this one is much more personal. Our text simply says, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So now, not very far into their first missionary journey, they already lose a valuable member of their team. A couple years ago, um, I was reading an article, and uh, it was around Father's Day, I think, and they gave what I thought was a really good idea. They said, you know, we always carry around now these recording devices. We all have apps on our phone that do that. Sit down with your dad on Father's Day, press record, and ask him to tell his life story. That way you always have it. Um, Maybe you can share it with your kids someday and those stories and the way he would want to tell it doesn't get lost. I thought, what a great idea. So it was around Father's Day, one summer, a couple years ago, I was home. I sat down with my dad and I said, hey, start talking. I want to hear your life story. And it was awesome. It was a great idea. I'm glad I did it. But then I had another idea. My dad's been in ministry now as a pastor for about 30 years. I thought, man, Probably one day I would love to know what my dad thinks about X, Y, and Z. I said, Dad, next time I come up, I want another 90 minutes, okay? (laughs) I want to hear your story of ministry. And so next time I was there, I sat down and I asked my dad, give me the story of your ministry. And I asked him all kinds of questions, including what was some of the hardest things you had to go through in ministry? And he gave me all kinds of answers, but one of the answers he gave me was that one of the hardest things is to lose people that you serve with. Now, we don't know why John Mark left. Maybe he was discouraged. Maybe he was homesick. There's indication he was pretty young at this point. Maybe he had some kind of conflict with the apostle. I've, of course, known people over the years who've left ministry, sometimes for good reason, sometimes because they're burned out, sometimes because of sin. But what we do know for sure is that Paul viewed this as John Mark deserting them. So much so that a couple chapters later, Paul says, I I don't want anything to do with that guy. Now we read over a verse like this in chapter 13 very fast, but this was probably emotionally devastating for the Apostle Paul. It's one thing to face opposition from external forces. You kind of expect that. Elemis, the magician, yeah. It's a whole other thing to face opposition and difficulty from an ally. But now with a depleted team, Paul and Barnabas march inland. Our text goes on, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. Now, one of the things that's frustrating about the book of Acts is all the different Antiochs. Let me try to clear it up. We have Syrian Antioch. That's where the church is that sort of sent Paul and Barnabas out. But you have a second Antioch up in Pisidia. 
This Antioch was a thriving city. In fact, it was the most important city in the Roman colony of Asia Minor, a region also known as Galatia, where Paul will later write the letter to the Galatian churches. And so they come into this city of Antioch in Pisidia. And I have a test for you this morning, okay? Where do you think they go first? Put the answer on the board. (laughs) On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue. So if you got that right, you get an A today, okay? And they sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul and Barnabas walk into the synagogue and some of the liturgy happens. And then the leaders invite them to come to the front and take the mic. Now, as odd as that might seem, remember Paul is a trained rabbi. In fact, he was schooled by the most prominent Pharisee, Gamaliel. And so Paul has an opportunity before this synagogue in Pisidian Antioch to speak. Now, if you were leaving church this morning and you turned on your, your radio, of course, to K-Love, right? Um, you turn on to K-Love and you hear that the Apostle Paul is coming to Philadelphia and he's going to be speaking down at the Wells Fargo Center. Is that a ticket that you would want to get? Right here in Acts chapter 13, we get to listen to the first recorded message of the Apostle Paul. In verses 16 to 41, what do you think it is that the Apostle Paul preached? I'm going to tell you what his topic was. The message he preached is this, Jesus is the Messiah, repent or suffer judgment. Now, I bet Paul had a snappier title for his sermon than that, okay? But this was his topic. Jesus is the Messiah, repent or suffer judgment. Pretty heavy stuff. He probably didn't start with a camping story, I'll tell you that. This is Paul's first recorded message. I remember the first message that I gave. I think I was 21 at the time. It was to a really small Sunday school class. I think there was a total of six people there, uh, two of whom were my brothers. Uh, One kid that we grew up with who was totally and completely dead asleep within a couple minutes. Um, Love you, Graham. And um, he told me when I was done, I did a good job, which meant a lot. Um, But I remember being up there thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing. But that's not going to be this rabbi's problem. This rabbi is a rabbi of rabbis. And the Apostle Paul knows his biblical theology backwards and forwards. He's probably raring to go to get up there and get an opportunity to preach to this room. Here's the outline of his message. In in verses 16 to 25, he shares Israel's history to show the preparation for the Messiah. Then he moves on and describes Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection to show the guilt of the Jews And then finally, he warns the audience to believe in Jesus or suffer judgment. I want to read for you Paul's message. It's just going to take a couple minutes. So beginning in verse 16, this is the message of the Apostle Paul. I love how he starts. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. (laughs) 
The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. Paul's gonna rewind the clock all the way back to the Egyptian captivity in this little history lesson and take us all the way forward to when John the Baptist came. He goes on, and with uplifted arm, he led them out. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Listen to this. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. And then Paul transitions to the guilt of the Jewish people. Listen to what he says. Brothers, son of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. So Gentiles listening too. To us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm. And then he goes on to quote from the Psalms, and then he finishes his sermon with these couple verses here. This is the application. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. So it took me about three minutes to read through Paul's message. And unless you think Paul preached three-minute messages, which I guess is a possibility, maybe you like that idea, I don't know. What we have here is probably an outline of what he spoke to that room about. But let's go back to his main point. Jesus is the Messiah. Repent or suffer judgment. You want to know what the Apostle Paul preached about as he went on these missionary journeys we're going to read about? This was the message of the Apostle Paul. If you would have traveled with him from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue, you would have heard this message over and over and over again. How did the audience respond to Paul's first message? Listen to what our text says. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. (laughs) Now, since I have 
been 21, my first message, I've preached a fair bit of times, different places, different locations. I have never been begged to come back and preach. Now, I've never been begged not to preach again, which I think that's a good thing. But folks, this is not about the messenger. This is about the message. This is about the work of the Spirit. What you see before us in these verses is the very first time that the gospel, the same message that eventually made it to you and me, is going out in this end of the earth era. It's what Paul preaches. And it's the same message we preach today. How does our chapter end? Well, Luke records some good news and some bad news. Text says, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, listen to this, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. I'd call that a win. But here comes the opposition, and it's intense. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Now, we are almost done this chapter, but hang with me a second here, because when Paul goes head-to-head and toe-to-toe with these opponents, he unpacks that great mystery that we read about in his letters, the grace of God going to everyone So our text says, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. There it is. So here's our theology that you and I so often take for granted. The accomplishment of the Great Commission happening before us in real time. How will the Gentiles respond to this? Listen to this. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But now Luke concludes our chapter with the hard reality that is the sojourn story, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the city. Now, one of the things that gets lost in Acts is some of the chronology around all, all, all of this. Um, at this point in our text, Paul and Barnabas have probably been working in this city for about a year already, believe it or not. And now with this fledgling church planted, here comes the persecution. Luke kind of skims over it in this verse, but make no mistake, we know from elsewhere in scripture, Paul and his team took a beating in Antioch. So much so they say, hey, it's time to sojourn on. And Luke ends our chapter with verse 52. They shook off the dust from their feet and went to Iconium, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So there you have it. The first half of Paul's first missionary journey. In this journey, we went from Syrian Antioch to Cyprus, all the way up to Asia Minor. But before we wrap up this morning, 
what can we take away from Luke's travel notes? Now, certainly one of the things we should take away is the big picture of what God is doing among the Gentiles. The gospel is going out for the first time to the ends of the earth. You don't want to miss that. But what else is Luke teaching us here? When we come to the book of Acts, see, it's not just about knowing all the places, all the locations, all the data points. It's not even about grasping the big picture as important as that is. The careful reader of Acts asks a question as we look at Luke's notes. What can we learn about the life of a sojourner? Now, of course, there's all kinds of lessons to be learned from Acts 13, but I want to focus on one here that Luke communicates very clearly, even at the beginning of these missionary journeys, and it's this week's sojourn sojourn secret. Simply this, to sojourn is to suffer. To sojourn is to suffer. Think back to the beginning of chapter 13, where you have this church fasting and worshiping. And out of that, two of their five church leaders get supernaturally called by the Holy Spirit to go do this new work of God. Think about the joy and excitement and the faith that would have been in that church. I mean, I've been to commissioning services like that before. That's when you get the church dinners, you know, the banners, the big signs, the balloons. Go get them, Paul, Barnabas. Take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And they do. And they have great success. I mean, think of all the firsts that they experience already on this trip. First time the gospel's going all the way through Cyprus. First time the gospel's up in this region of Pisidian Antioch. First message of Paul. First church is planted. First major significant convert, Sergius Paulus. But think about some of those other firsts as well. First discouragement. First difficulty. First suffering. See, we're, we're only halfway through this first missionary journey. And already, think of the opposition that we've seen. False prophet. Somebody deserting the team. Persecution so heavy, they had to get out of town. See, what we see as we read the first of Luke's notes about these travel journeys is something that's going to be true of all sojourners in the stories to come. And that's suffering. In fact, years later, Paul from a jail cell would write this to the church, the Philippians. He says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. Now, in one sense, this should not surprise us, right? Because, you know, we're following the suffering servant, uh, the one who told us to take up our cross and follow, the one who told us they're going to hate you because they hated me. Some of you might remember uh, one of our pioneers we looked at named Amy Carmichael. Now, if you remember anything about Amy Carmichael's story, uh, you probably remember that she was no stranger to suffering. But for Amy Carmichael, suffering actually became a mark of devotion. 
in one of her lesser known poems called Hast Thou No Scar, Amy Carmichael imagines what Jesus might think of a follower who hasn't suffered. Listen to what she writes. Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung throughout the land. I hear them hail thy shining star. Hast thou no scar? No scar. Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent, leaned me against a tree, and rent by ravening beasts around me. I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No wound? No scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But whole? Can he have followed far? who has no wound nor scar. Now, I've been thinking about this poem this week. Some of you in here have some wounds and some scars. You've been following Jesus long enough. You've been serving in a church long enough to know what it's like to get beat up a little bit. Now, maybe not Pauline level, certainly not what a lot of the persecuted church faces, but you know some of the scars of serving. Have you experienced any of these before? Do you know what it's like to be mocked? Students maybe at your school. Maybe some of you have family members who mock you because of what you believe. Have you been betrayed? Have you been slandered? People talk about talk about you behind your back. They, they think they have your motives figured out even though your motives are pure. Have you been yelled at, dumped on, ignored? Have you ever felt invisible to people who are supposed to love you? Ever been underappreciated as you served and served? Ever been unthanked as you sacrificed? Maybe by this church, maybe by our leadership, maybe by me. Some of you have emotional scars from serving and following. Some of you have financial scars. Some of you have relational scars. Some of you have scars that go back, and these are deep scars. You can still think of people who have hurt you tremendously or hurt your family. Do you have scars like that? If you do, here's what I want to tell you this morning. Take heart. That means you followed far enough to get some scars. Because to sojourn is to suffer. Paul writes in his last letter to scarred up, wounded believers. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch. That's the city we just read about. And at Iconium, where he goes next. And at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from all of them, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. If you have been hurt in serving or in following Jesus, don't give up on people. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on leaders. Don't give up on ministry. Remember what Paul says, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. This is the word of Paul to the suffering sojourner. You know, Paul went back to Pisidian Antioch on his second and third missionary journeys. He didn't do that because he loved getting beat up. He did it because he was called to sojourn. And to sojourn is to suffer. Now, how about those who would hear a poem like Hast Thou No Scar and think, um, I'm not sure I have any scars or wounds. Maybe Acts 13 is your call to sojourn. Maybe Acts 13 is a call for you to step forward, even in this church context, and start to use your Holy Spirit-given gifts to serve. Talk to people up at revivals who pour themselves out there week in and week out. You'll hear about some scars. Talk to people who serve in teen groups or kids groups. You'll get stories about scars, sometimes literal scars from those kids. Maybe it's time for you to step out right from where you are. Begin to talk to people at work about your faith. Begin to talk to people in your neighborhood about church. Maybe it's time to invite some people over to your home and just listen to them. Maybe it's time to look for needs to meet, financial, physical needs. And I'll tell you, you do that enough times, you sojourn out and help people, it won't be long before you get some scars. But that's okay. Because to sojourn is to suffer. Can he who follow far have no wound nor scar. Well, missionary journey number one is underway, but there's much more sojourning to come. Let's pray. Father, we look to you this morning. In light of what you've done in the past, we love watching the good news of Jesus Christ go to new places Lord, continue that work today. There are still ends of the earth right before us. May we be your instruments of grace. May we be your sojourners to take the gospel into the hard places, even if that's our neighborhood, our workplace, or our family dinner table. Father, for those who have suffered because they have served, comfort them with your word. And for those who maybe have not developed scars and wounds in ministry, would you call them to a life of sacrifice? You can do that. You still do that. And we'll continue looking to you. We thank you for your word, for the challenge and the life that it gives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.